Welcome to Chatsunami. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special episode of Chatsunami. My name's Satsunami, and joining me for the very first festive episode is none other than the one and only Christmas holiday cheer bringer, I want to say. <laughs> the one and only Andrew. Andrew, welcome back. Bah humbug. Everyone, good to be here and chat about a wonderful Christmas movie this year. I was going to say, get away with your scroogeiness right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll reserve my scroogeiness because I, I very much enjoyed the topic we were going to be talking about today. And out of curiosity, what topic are we going to be talking about today? We are going to be talking about the Netflix animated Christmas movie, Klaus, or Claus. I don't know uh, which, I think uh, is Klaus, but if you want to correct me on that, you're more than welcome to. To be fair, I do think it is like a tomato-tomato situation. There's a lot of like reviewers and people who have like talked about this film, and I think they basically use the words like Klaus and Klaus interchangeably so yeah I mean I'll be judging you silently from afar but no no go on. (laughs) Of course of course I wouldn't expect anything less. Yeah so we're going to be looking at the Netflix animated feature film Klaus which came out in 2019 and was the directorial debut of Spanish director Sergio Paulos in 2019, which received huge critical acclaim. It won the BAFTA that year and was nominated for Best Animated Movie at the Oscars as well, which is pretty incredible for a Christmas animated movie. I can't think of many others. Maybe the Polar Express might have done that as well, but I can't think of um, many other Christmas animated movies that would be nominated for Best Animated or Oscars. Yeah, it's quite a... Well, I was going to say, yeah, it's a airfield but I bet you like you turn around and there's like a whole list of them <laughs> yeah I'm wondering if like that new like Illumination Grinch movie probably oh, uh, yeah. probably on there it's not got a candle in the Jim Carrey version I'm, I'm just gonna say it now we watched that last night actually did it hold up as much as you remember there are some things I should not be saying anymore that like we're not, we're not okay yeah that sounds about right <laughs> It was pretty, uh, like, there's a lot of kind of things where when you're an adult, you're like, oh god, how did they get away with that? Yeah, that's next week's episode. Why the Grinch is problematic. <laughs> Number one, he's no tolerant. Anyway, so. <laughs> How the Grinch cancelled Twittermas. I mean, I, I would watch it out of morbid curiosity, to be fair. And for anyone out there who's saying, oh, no, I wouldn't watch it, you liars, you would. It'd be like a true crime documentary. I actually don't think there is true crime Christmas documentary. Anyway, so I'm getting ahead of myself here. There's actually going to be a Grinch murder mystery movie oh, coming out, like a live I action did see one. That. It's called The Mean One. Did they not bring out a Winnie the Pooh one as well? Yeah, it's like honey and gore or something. Yeah, something like that. Uh, it feels as if that's kind of the trick of horror films now to take like a very child-friendly figure and then be like oh yeah by the way you want to see them stab someone yeah going back to something a bit more wholesome and (laughs) uh, something to do with christmas cheer yeah the time of recording this there is of course like a lot of christmas music going around there's a lot of festive films going around honest to goodness i don't know about you andrew like have you started watching any christmas films yeah we've gone through elf Noel, Grinch, and then this one. Those are the ones we've we've covered so far. At the time of recording, it's only December 3rd, so we've still got a long, long time left and many, many more to get through. Oh yeah, we've got time. We can speedrun them just one day. Just keep going. 
Yeah. And I mean, with the amount of Christmas Carol adaptations, it's going to take a while. But when we're talking about these festive films, we're talking about things like The Muppets Christmas Carol, It's a Wonderful Life. And, you know, we're thinking of all these classics of cinema. But going back to what we're going to be talking about today with Klaus, I'm going to be honest, I felt as if this film came out of nowhere. Were you the same? How did you come across this film initially? It was promoted back in 2019 on our Netflix. And we heard some hype around it in terms of like that it was getting a lot of kind of Oscar season buzz for a Christmas movie and a very unique animation style. So we decided, I think it was while we were putting up our Christmas tree or it was we were doing something in our apartment at the time. And so we, we popped it on, but we weren't really paying attention to it because we didn't really care too much about it. And so I'll be honest, it didn't interest me that much. But rewatching it just this week, I've kind of got a huge, a brand new appreciation for the movie I think it is wonderful but we'll get into exactly why as we go on I have to admit I was kind of laughing to myself there when you said you were watching this when you were putting up the tree because I was doing exactly the same thing a couple of years ago when I first found this film and I think it was just because I saw it advertised on Netflix and I kind of thought uh, I don't know you know I like a Muppet Christmas Carol it's a wonderful life the Grinch you know I'm very wary when it comes to new Christmas films as weird as that sounds because you know Christmas films are a dime a dozen there's a massive bulk of them and when they all come through they all want to tell the kind of same story and everything so when I saw Klaus and I saw oh it's the origin of Santa I thought yeah sure okay and then like you I just put it on in the background I thought oh yeah I'll just put it on that'll be some nice background noise and then of course I watched it I ended up paying attention more to that than what became a lopsided tree because I was more invested in the film than I was decorating. This is just a straight-up spoiler-free review in a couple of words. This film is poignant, it's fantastic, it is a whirlwind of emotions. Honestly, I would wholeheartedly recommend this film if you haven't seen it, and that is probably the briefest way I can say that, because, yeah, well, we just jump into it and explain to these lovely people why they should be watching this film. I think so. Going forward, they are are going to be spoilers so if you don't want to be spoiled and you want to watch this and experience it for the first time yourself please put some tinsel in your ears go watch the film then come back and yeah listen to this episode we'll be waiting so without any further ado we'll be right back after these holy jolly messages welcome to shatsunami a variety podcast that discusses topics from gaming and films to anime and general interests previously on shatsunami We've analysed what makes a good horror game, conducted a retrospective on Pierce Brosnan's runs James Bond, and listened to us take deep dives into both the Sonic and Halo franchises. Also, if you're an anime fan, then don't forget to check us out on our sub-series, Chatsunani, where we dive into the world of anime. So far, we've reviewed things like Death Note, Princess Mononoke, and the hit Beyblade series. If that sounds like your cup of tea, then you can check us out on Spotify, iTunes, and all good podcast apps. As always, stay safe, stay awesome, and most most importantly, stay hydrated. Hey, I'm Abby. Hi, I'm Fee, and together we are the Everything Coincidental podcast. We talk about all things paranormal, such as ghosties, cryptids, and aliens. We also like to talk about all things spirituality, which encourages us and others to live by their own rules. So if that's something that you relate to and are interested in, make sure you check us out at Everything Coincidental on all platforms and also drop us a message. We'd love to chat to you at some point about it. Talk soon. Bye. 
This episode is sponsored by Zencaster. If you're a podcaster that records remotely like me, then you'll know how challenging it can be to create the podcast you've always wanted. That's where Zencaster comes in. Before I met Zencaster, I was but a naive podcaster, recording on low quality, one track audio waves. But with Zencaster, you can kiss those fears goodbye as they provide crystal clear audio and HD video. Plus, with our all-in-one podcasting suite, recording with guests is extremely simple. From local recordings to post-production, Zencaster has it all. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my code CHATSUNAMI. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. So Andrew, tell me what this film is about. Yeah, for sure. Klaus is the story of the origin of Santa Claus, essentially. Our main character is actually a very entitled, privileged young man who his father is the postmaster general and wants his son to kind of learn to develop on his own and not be so reliant on the money that comes from being the son and heir of the postmaster general. I don't know if it's an air situation. So he sends his son off to be the postman for a small island community who do not have much reason to send mail to one another because they are constantly at war between these two rivaling clans. So he has to try and establish a postal network between these people. He discovers a man uh, in the woods who makes toys and tries to sort of bond the town and create this wider postal network by delivering toys to these children so that he can reach his letter goal, which will allow him to return back to his privileged life. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself, to be honest. And going back to a point that you made before, this is, of course, as you said, a film that explores the origin of Santa Claus, or Klaus, as we've established. But say when you first heard this plot and you watched the trailer and everything, what were your initial thoughts going into it? I wasn't that impressed or interested. I thought it was just kind of like, a oh, it's just one of those kind of modern movie kind of like, oh, we'll explain the origin of this. Yeah, I, I wasn't that intrigued, wasn't that impressed. I just kind of put it on as like a filler kind of movie just when it first came out. But I think I've serially underrated the movie initially. I think it is very good. What about yourself? Well, I have to admit, I'm exactly in the same boat, pardon the plot pun there. But when I first heard about this film, I was kind of like, eh, yeah, we're going to have this origin story. It's going to be sappy. It's going to be cheesy. And I'm not going to lie, the first... like like maybe third of this film doesn't really do itself any favours because I watched this film uh, begrudgingly for my partner but I showed my girlfriend this film and she had never seen it before she had never heard of it and I was like oh it's a great film it's all about the origin of Santa Claus and of course while we were watching it throughout the first third it's about this as you said this spoiled postal heir as it were <laughs> called Jesper who he only cares about himself he cares about his silk sheets he's very egotistical and of course he gets sent to this like very remote place called Smearinsburg and throughout like that whole sequence where he's trying to establish like a postal service and obviously to little success my girlfriend turned around to me and she's like what does this have to do with the origin of Santa and it is 
it's I have to admit it's really hard to be like oh no keep with it keep watching like did you feel the same throughout like the first third of the film or even quarter yes and no I was actually quite enjoying the introduction and I had had I had zero memory of the beginning of the movie at this postmaster academy i must have been doing something completely different when i first watched this because i zero memory of this sort of taking place i thought it set up the the town and the community and the story quite well it did take quite a while to get to the point where we meet klaus i think the the story pacing was good for that in my personal opinion my partner lost interest in the beginning so i think similar similar to you and your partner the it didn't capture her initially and so it, it wasn't until the very end of the movie she kind of started sort of taking note of what was going on again and I had to kind of explain to her what happened in the beginning. Yeah, I had to rewind it a couple of times to be like, look, he's a bad postman, okay? <laughs> look at him! He's kicking a fragile parcel down the stairs! You know, yeah, no, I totally... Very Ace Ventura, that I found. Uh, yeah, oh god, absolutely. See, before we go on to the plot, and basically how this broke me down to tears. Lie down, try not to cry, cry anyway kind of meme. That that was literally me at the end of the story. But before we go on to that, can we talk about the animation? Yeah, definitely. I would love to speak more about that. I'm going to be honest, this film looks, and you know, no bias here, but this film is absolutely gorgeous. It is stunning to look at. It's got this very weird hybrid of like 2D and 3D animation. This was something that you and I were talking about just before we got on to recording, but the kind of base animation, it's very much hand-drawn 2D animation, but with the right amount of like lighting and shading and things like that, they make it into, it looks like the perfect hybrid between 2D animation and 3D animation. But did you feel the same, Andrew, when you first watched this? Well, when I first watched it, I'm struggling to remember my initial impressions of it. I don't think that it, much like the most of the movie, I don't think it really captured me initially. I don't think I fully appreciated it until my most recent rewatch of it. But I, I do agree. I think it is wonderful. And I, being such a huge fan of traditional 2D animation, I was so thrilled to sort of see kind of an evolution of what that would become. And I know that is that was the intention of the director to try and establish what 2D animation might have evolved into had computer a generated animation not kind of taken over the animation scene so it, it is brilliant to see how they used volumetric lighting to give it that unique look to make it look like that hand crafted feel that so many of the traditional 2d animated movies had while still looking very much like a modern movie there are points that do look kind of janky but like it isn't as quite as polished in some ways as some other films but I do think it is really consistent with its animation. I think it looks very, very interesting. My partner was not a big fan of it, being so used to this modern kind of 3D computer animated Disney movie where things are much more well like rounded. It's not quite as sharp, a lot of the angles. That is more to her preference, but I absolutely adored how this film looked. Well, funny enough, in terms of design, something that I was quite surprised at, and again, this is more like a subconscious thing, where when you're first introduced to Smearnsburg, you see all of the houses are very angular and pointed and quite jaggy, and that's like subconsciously to say, oh, this place is unfriendly. And As are the, uh, the weapons protruding from all the roofs. Well, yeah, that too. That's very overt. It's kind of hard not to see that. Then, of course, you've got 
louses house which is very sturdy and like you know it's withered through time and everything is really well designed like the whole town and the whole setting is amazingly done but one thing I want to know and this is something that I don't know if you picked up on because I know this is one of your favourite films from Disney but when I was watching this especially for the ferryman character who takes a Jesper across the water voiced by um, Norm Macdonald in his final film role released uh, during his lifetime I did notice that a lot of these characters looked quite familiar in the way like they acted and the way they presented themselves and I was kind of like this is really weird because I reckon I obviously not the exact like character model or anything but I thought where have I seen that before but if you look at Sergio's filmography or rather his animation credits he has worked on a lot of very prolific films like I mean even going to the 90s he was part of a lot of the Disney Renaissance films you know like The Hunchback of Notre Dame he was the animator for Frollo he was the animator for Hades and Hercules he also worked in Tarzan but the one that actually caught my eye was Treasure Planet where he was a supervising animator for one of the characters I think his name was Dr. Doppler I have to admit I had to do a Google search while I was researching because it's been a while since I've seen Treasure Planet. I was like, who the hell's Dr. Dobler? That is very appropriate, actually, because I think uh, if it's the character I'm thinking of a Treasure Planet, he is a lot like Jesper in his mannerisms. They're all very similar with the way they, as you said, their mannerisms, the way they present themselves with their actions, the way they move, their expressions as well. When the ferryman pops in and he's like leaning and looking in quite smug, he reminds me of like the Long John Silver character from Treasure Planet. Like, he reminds me a lot. Just the way he kind of, you know, he's smugly going, oh yeah, and hashtag not all ferrymen are pirates, but you know what I mean? Yeah, it was just an interesting parallel, essentially. And I thought that was really cool to kind of draw between the fact that he obviously has, like, a lot of work under his belt before jumping into this film. But funny enough, and this is something we were talking about once again before we started recording, but this film did not seem popular when it was proposed to different studios, was it? Yeah, I was very surprised to hear that, that uh, it took so long for it to get a uh, green light by any studio and that it was eventually Netflix that, that gave it that green light and signed the deal with them. Yeah, you're completely right. When I was reading that, I was like, oh, this must be one of those films that was specifically made for Netflix and, you know, like they laboured over it, they released it exclusively and that was it. You know, there was no real history behind it if that makes sense but the fact that this actually got bounced around from studio to studio all because a lot of studios said that it was like a risky move is that right in saying yeah i think i think that was the kind of consensus that they didn't want to take a risk on this movie and i don't quite know what about it would have upset people. I don't know, maybe, maybe people have a very uh, firm kind of understanding of who Santa Claus is and they didn't want to upset that kind of idea that he isn't just uh, a magical man in the North Pole. Yeah, it seems very weird. According to my notes here, it said it was around, I think, 2015. So about four years before this was actually given a release and about two years, I think, before Netflix acquired the rights to it. But I'm wondering if there was a different version of this film because Jesper was according to my notes here he was originally proposed as a chimney sweep rather than like a spoiled postman and see in all honesty I don't think that would have worked 
I do see what they were going for with that. That is someone that could easily access the chimneys to deliver presents. But yeah, no, it doesn't quite have the same kind of ring to it that the postman kind of storyline has. Just before we go on to talk about the plot, one thing that I was actually really surprised at and really intrigued by was the introduction of the Sami people. You know the scene I'm talking about where all the children are given their letters to the postman and there's like one girl who exclusively speaks Sami, which, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's like a Finnish or it's definitely a Scandinavian indigenous tribe, isn't it? Yeah, that's kind of the impression I was getting. My partner thought she could hear some almost French to what they were saying. I don't, I don't know if the language they were speaking is a genuine language or if it was kind of made up for the movie. I'm not quite sure, but I'd be interested to, I'd, I'd be interested to know that. Yeah, no, it is a real language. The Sami people do encompass areas of nowadays uh, Scandinavia, so like Norway, Sweden, Finland especially, and they just kind of travel from place to place. And funny enough, when this was years ago, like pre-pandemic times, but when I went to Sweden one time to visit a friend, I actually learned that they actually have a pass, like a special pass that allows them to move between each country without a passport. But that's just a fun travel fact of the day. Yeah, they can like move from country to country without being stopped, which is pretty neat. But yeah, they're like a real nomadic people. Yeah, which I have to admit, I thought was quite surprising because seeing all honesty, if this was like an illumination film or as anything like that, you would bet they would have had some kind of minion-esque elf people or something like that. I don't know, like I kind of shudder to think what would happen if a studio like that would have got their hands in this story and it definitely would have undercut the story. It was really cool though. I have to admit, it was really cool. One thing I really like about it is it doesn't feel the need to have the kind of comedic relief that a lot of other current films are so prevalent with. Like, I don't feel like it has some silly minion-esque kind of device in there. Like, there is there is comedic relief throughout it, but it totally works, it's consistent, and it fits the movie very, very well. It doesn't uh, stoop low in the majority of cases with its humour. If I'm gonna nitpick, I would say there's a couple of stereotypes when it comes to the two warring clans. You know, the Ellenbos, who are the red-headed, hot-headed, as it were, individuals, and the crumbs, who are, yeah, just pretty much the same, but with black hair and very dour-faced. They're a lot more serious. Some moments between them, I was kind of like, okay, I've had enough of this. You know, that way. Like, I get that's obviously the central reason why Smearnsburg is the way it is, and I like their introduction and everything, but there were just some moments where I'm like, okay, this is about too much. But again, and that's more of a nitpick. No, I would I would agree. The weakness of this film, if there is one, is how they dealt with the two, particularly like the when we sort of would see the leaders of each clan. I don't think it was anything particularly interesting. I think it was pretty standard in terms of what has come before it. But I think you're right. It's a, it's a small nitpick. I think it still works, but I do think that is its weakness if there is one. I also, I don't know what your feelings on this are if we are talking about weaknesses of the movie, but I didn't quite like the choice of songs that they used in the movie. Uh I thought that that was a bit of an issue with the tone of the movie. I'm using tone of the movie quite often, but just that I don't feel it fit the movie a lot of the time, the songs that were being chosen. They were beautiful songs. I I love the songs themselves, but I don't think they necessarily fit the movie very well. Yeah, the only song... 
I would give an exception to because as you said it's absolutely beautiful is see the one they play at the very end and the one where I think it's Margu her name is yes, the Sammy child yeah. when yeah they give her the sled or the ski thing and you're very Treasure Planet-esque which is like <laughs> it the... is very Treasure Planet-esque <laughs> you're right I, ju- I just noticed that as soon as I thought about it I thought that is very you know Jim what's his face um, Hawkins Hawkins thank you yeah I love that song I will say that really suited the film but I totally agree with you when it was songs like Don't Mess With The Postman and I can't mm. remember the other song was it a rap or something or there was something when he was going up to see Klaus I think was a bit of a weird song yeah no I 100% agree with you there and thank you for bringing that up yeah those like two moments or I, I think those are the only two songs that are maybe two or three but you're you're completely right other than the very emotional build up and swelling music you get with the other bits that bit in particular or sorry those scenes in particular yeah completely agree those are definitely some of the weak points and you feel as if they could have put something better in but again minor nitpicks absolutely minor nitpicks um but now that we've got the nitpicks out of the way do you want to move on to the absolutely poignant story of Klaus. Yeah, I'd love to speak more on that. What are your thoughts on the story so we can start you off this time? I cried. I'm not going to lie, this film made me cry. It made me curl up in the fetal position. It is a lot more emotional than I remember it being because when you watch this film, as I said at the beginning, when you watch this film and you get to the first third I think just before he meets Klaus you kind of get this feeling it's going to be this oh it, it was good don't get me wrong I do agree with you Andrew it was like a great setup and it was great pacing but you do not get a sense for how emotional this film's going to be when you see him walking up and he's like oh I want to get back to my life and everything and you're like right okay we've done this dance before we've watched like a thousand films like yes he's going to learn his lesson he's going to go through that scene where he has the misunderstanding with the other characters and they'll come back and you know these tropes and don't get me wrong it can be kind of tropey at times yeah i would agree with that i i that would that would be another thing that would have brought up as a uh as a weakness of how kind of predictable a lot a lot of it was i think there were there were some some moments where they managed to pull the rug from under my feet a little bit but yeah i think i think just the whole you kind of can see that he has this goal that he's misleading everyone and you know it's going to come back and bite him and then he's gonna have to try and redeem himself like you can see that coming from a mile away although i have to admit i do think this is the very first and only film that i've ever seen where the villains like accomplish their tasks by being very competent postmen <laughs> i don't i don't think i've ever watched like a maniacal postman that's done his job in a film like can you think Think of any or <laughs> no I, I i can't quite think of a postal scheme but you want the letters to go out yeah yeah but sorry going back to like the plot and everything when you finally meet klaus and you you know there's the whole misunderstanding that jesper thinks he is this very brutish axe murderer and everything and then it turns out he's just a very kind-hearted individual can we talk about just the one scene that absolutely because i want to hear 
your opinions on this as well and to see how much you cried at it. Uh, we can have a cry off, if you will. The scene, I mean, where we find out why Klaus is, well, really the way he is. Yeah, it, like it did it did hit me for sure. I That was not the point that made me cry. There was actually a point that did make me well up with tears in the movie. That wasn't it, but that was a very hard-hitting moment where we kind of learn that it's very kind of akin to, to Up, the Pixar movie, where we discovered that the reason that Klaus has made all these toys and they're just kind of sitting there is because he had made them for the children that he and his wife had hoped to have, but they were unable to have children for whatever reason. His wife then became ill and passed away. And so he was kind of left alone in his cabin that he had built for the two of them with just these many toys surrounding him. And he created this little kind of like family tree that he carved into like the trunk of a tree that kind of went went through the cabin that he would like sit little like family members in and it only only existed was just him and his wife and so he kind of hid it away and that was very heart-wrenching and then prior to that throughout the movie when we'd sort of been introduced to Klaus it seemed like the wind was like telling him something or he was interpreting something based on the wind and you would you were always kind of like what is going on here what's happening what is he kind of inferring or what is he being communicated to via the wind is he is it just that he's crazy what's going on here and you kind of learned that it he believes that it's, it's his wife kind of communicating to him and through what seems to be somewhat supernatural elements towards the end it may have made that may be the case that it is it was indeed his wife that, that communicated to him to try and like push him in the right direction to help the town and to get past his kind of grieving loneliness that he could feel happy again and yeah when that moment came it really it did really uh really hit me it was very it was very poignant i don't think it quite had the same impact on me that it did on you do you want to speak speak on that oh yeah absolutely i didn't cry watching this film just to not bring it up so <laughs> but now jokes aside when i started re-watching this uh, with my partner i remember like turning to her and then turning to you know the tv and i saw that klaus was on and as the wind was kind of blowing and as you said the wind is very much uh like it is very symbolic i mean you could say technically it is his wife that is communicating with him as a spirit which i thought was very touching but just that scene as you said where he was saying oh i don't make toys toys anymore once they run out of toys and you don't know why he doesn't want to make toys but you know obviously it's going to be a sad reason and Jesper is trying so so desperately to say oh let's build toys because he wants to reach his like goal of sending out 6,000 letters and you know he's like oh we can have a workstation here we can have this and that and then he pulls down this sheet and of course Klaus is very desperate he's like no don't touch that and you see uh, as you said the family tree where it's just him and his wife and immediately it struck me I was like oh my god I actually remember why he doesn't make toys anymore and I was desperately trying not to cry but as soon as my girlfriend started crying at it I just started crying and it's funny you say it's exactly like up because that's what she said and that set me off even more because I was just thinking how sad that was because you see the mini montage of them together, they're having a you know lovely time, he's a young man building his toys and everything and he ends up a lonely old man and his wife passes away and he's just on his own in the middle of the woods and that is just like such an emotional scene where he talks about that and of course at the very end, like skipping ahead a bit, after 12 years he 
finally decides to join his wife and he says something along the lines of I'm coming too my dear or something like that and he you know he puts down his axe for one last time he goes into the wind and that's it he just disappears I was a wreck I'm gonna be honest I was a wreck my girlfriend was a wreck we were just like sobbing uncontrollably because it's just such a poignant moment that I don't think anybody would expect from a film like this because as we talked about before this film is very tropey you have all of these moments where it's like okay it's the selfish postman he's trying to use this small town to return to his life of luxury you know you've got the misunderstandings him being a bit of a prat to people and as the story develops there as I said there are tropes there but they weave them and twist them in such a magnificent way like for example why Santa Claus does the things he does and I have to admit I did find that pretty funny when he goes to put the gifts on the mantelpiece and then he sees it's the boy who threw like a snowball at him and called him a loser so he gives him a lump of coal when he comes up with the excuse that oh he's got a naughty list and he can see everything you're doing and I thought that was really funny yeah I really enjoyed the montage of all the children of the town doing the good deeds around town to make sure that they're on the on the nice list which I kind of get like at one point the villains say well what will happen when the children are no longer receiving toys that you're bribing them with to do good deeds and the the, the adults will uh, will start returning to hate each other as well that scene kind of made me think because I was like yeah well that's kind of the situation isn't it that the children aren't being good for goodness sake it does somewhat start a spark of goodwill but the children are ultimately doing being nice just for re- reward sake so there is there's a bit of a mixed message going on there in my opinion yeah no I'm, I'm totally with you there but on the kind of flip side to that though see if you think about it it would get into very dangerous the Grinch who stole Christmas territory where it's like oh we don't need uh, presents and things to be happy but I, I feel as if on the flip I, I completely agree you've got a completely valid point there but you wonder how much it would kind of stray into that territory if they decided to go that way but it would have been interesting to see yeah i did actually think that's the direction they were going to go towards the end when the presents all fell off the or like pushed off the cliff by uh the crumb i thought we were going to find out like the children didn't need the presents after all but they were, they were like no actually we th- those were decoy presents we have the real presents here to give to the children so I, I thought they had the opportunity there to make it that kind of story but they decided to go a different direction and that was kind of one the moments where I felt the kind of the trope pulled up from under me where I kind of expected to go one way and it didn't I thought it was it was unique I often one of those people who always like oh well this is going to happen in the movie and then the, the, like this this is how it's going to go kind of thing sometimes I can I feel like I, I almost ruin the movie for myself by doing that and so when a movie is able to then surprise me it's quite refreshing where I, I'm like oh I was wrong that's cool as we said before there are a lot of very I don't want to be reductive and say paint by the numbers but the kind of building blocks are there but the fact that they do kind of move the blocks out every so often to kind of throw you off and go oh right this is how it's going to end or this is going to happen it's just it's fantastically done and I do think that would you say looking at this film looking at the plot and the animation and everything in one like neat Christmas bundle would you say that Klaus deserves to be on the kind of pantheon of classic Christmas films that are watched every year? I do think it deserves to be held in high regard i think it is now one of my favorite christmas movies 
I don't necessarily think it needs to be watched every year, but I do think it should be added to the Christmas rotation. Uh, much like what we, we this time last year, we uh, we discussed uh, Tokyo Godfathers and kind of said very similar thing that it's one to be added to the rotation, but maybe uh, every other year kind of thing. What are your thoughts? I do think that this film is severely, maybe not underrated because there is like quite a surprising fan base for this film. I took to Twitter and I put a tweet saying, oh, I'm watching Klaus tonight. Oh, it's a great film, blah, blah, blah. Thinking I'll get one or two likes. But I was so surprised by the amount of people who were replying and they were all saying things like this film's beautiful this film's so emotional i loved it you know it it was really surprising to see such a fan base for this film and you know don't get me wrong like it completely deserves it and i think it did have apparently netflix had reported that the film was viewed nearly 30 million times in its first month on the platform according to what i'm reading here and that's just like an insane amount like i know obviously people will have it in repeat for kids and things but it seems like a lot of views for one month's work. Yeah, it's very impressive that it did it did receive that kind of attention in its initial release. I mean, if you'd uh, if a cinema release had that kind of attention, it'd be astronomical. But because obviously it's on Netflix, it uh, it's a lot easier to access. It doesn't quite get the same level of attention. Well, apparently it was in selected theaters. Oh, really? Yeah, one week before it came out on Netflix. Borrowing a phrase from yourself here, like the Grinch I am. Yeah, I I would a hundred percent recommend this film to be put on anybody. Christmas rotation because it's a film that I genuinely think that a lot of people will maybe overlook is the right word here because I've actually heard people, I've been in the same room as people who have been looking through Netflix and they come across Klaus and I silently think, oh great we're going to watch Klaus and then you turn around and go, oh it's an animated film, oh I can't be bothered with that and you know they move on and you think, well first of all that's not fair but like even beyond that hatred is a strong word but you know that dislike of animated films it's a film that is surprisingly emotional it is an absolutely fantastic story, it weaves in the mythos as it were for basically the story as a whole of Santa Claus and how he quote unquote came to be and it's done in just such an amazing way, like I have to admit although I don't like the scene where the crumbs and the alien bows try to kill them essentially by throwing boulders and tree trunks at them I have to admit I did laugh at that scene where they start flying because even before that happened I remember my girlfriend turned around to me and she said are they going to fly now? I'm like what? No, no and then of course not they technically don't fly they just go soaring through the air but of course the children see it and they think oh wow Klaus can fly and that's just like quite a wholesome moment. Yeah it's actually just sort of creating this kind of mythos around him by sort of how these kind of rumours came to be and were spread. So it's, it's very interesting. What a lore building going on here. Yeah, so this is the Santa lore, the Santa expanded universe. Speaking of, they never say the word Santa in the movie, I don't think, do they? No, they don't actually. They just say Klaus. Yeah. Which does make more sense. And yeah, no, you're you're completely right. As far as I remember, no, they don't. They just refer to him by the name Klaus, and that's pretty neat, I have to say. Honestly, like I cannot praise this film enough, but before we wrap up, 
Is there anything final that you want to say about this film, Andrew? Nothing that I haven't really already said, just that the animation is so unique and interesting. I do love to see a resurrection of traditional 2D animation with uh, this has a unique twist to it. The story is very beautiful, very pretty. I do love the inclusion of the indigenous Sani people. I think that was very, very interesting. And it sort of, even just through this podcast has, uh, has taught me about a group of people that I was not previously aware of. And I recommend that people check it out. I think it's a wonderful movie. I can only echo those sentiments. I would 100% agree with you and say, if you haven't checked out this film, even though you've sat through a spoiler-filled review of it, yeah, I would wholeheartedly recommend that you check it out. It does such a good job at handling a lot of the moments with like care and the respect it deserves whether that be of course with the Sami people as we talked about whether that be Klaus himself and the loss of his wife which I thought was excellently done although we've both made parallels to like Up which of course are obviously there it's not like a kind of shot for shot recreation it's not trying to say look at how sad we can be oh look at this sad music you know it does it in such a beautiful way that it shows you, you know, how in love he was with this particular individual and how it absolutely broke him as a person. And that is a surprising thing that, I mean, don't get me wrong, that grief can be a central theme. Like, I mean, if you watch something like It's a Wonderful Life, the whole film, as beautiful as that is, is about the concept of grief but at the same time there's kind of that bittersweet resolution of him continuing even though he's alone he starts to find these people who open his heart and open up his whole view on the world from being this isolated individual who does nothing but build birdhouses to someone who wants to help spread joy and hope into these children's lives so yeah all I can say is if you haven't watched this film what you still doing here go watch it get a netflix subscription <laughs> i'll also say um the the interesting ending of the movie which kind of suggests that santa's a ghost is a unique take on santa claus well i think the worrying thing would be like if jasper and his wife were making pottery and then you just saw the big clouds hands come from behind you never thought you were going to get a ghost reference did you <laughs> no i'll be honest <laughs> I have to admit, I think it's more to tie in with like the spiritual element, like obviously the wife being the wind spirit. Something that someone else pointed out as well, and obviously there's some like really obvious moments where the wind blows the letter from the child to Klaus and he sees it, and then there's the picture from the child that flies to Jesper's hands, and that obviously kicks off the whole plot about him wanting to create like a Santa figure but one of the other ones that I actually never even realised was there's a scene where Jesper's lying in his office and he looks up at the map and you can see the map, some of it's like hanging off the wall so it's covering the cabin you can see the wind push up the map so it shows you that like it shows it just enough for Jesper to take notice and go oh where's that place? So it kind of implies that the wife's semi-responsible for kicking off these events which I thought was 
kind of poetic, you know, it's like not wanting to give up hope in an otherwise like hopeless place. Because obviously at the beginning when we get to Smearensburg, it's very drab, Tim Burton-esque. And I have to admit, I did laugh because I've completely forgot about seeing the two people carrying the dead body for whatever reason. <laughs> and then pushing the guy on the wheelchair. It's like, I keep forgetting these small moments. It's like, huh, this is very morbid. But obviously as the film goes on, the town becomes a lot brighter, a lot more vibrant. And all I can say is, if you haven't checked out this film, please, like our words, do not do it justice. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and honestly, you'll have a blast. For sure. So before we finish up, first of all, Andrew, thank you so, so much for joining me in this episode. But yeah, before we finish up, where can these lovely listeners listen to more of your content? Thank you. Yeah, thank you for, for inviting me. I very much enjoyed coming on and rewatching this film. If uh, people would like to find me online, they can find me at Greenshield95 on Twitter and also Greenshield95 on Twitch, where I occasionally stream on Twitch. I'm trying to do it more often and hopefully uh, when this comes out, I'll, I'll have a bit more of a, a regular stint doing some streaming. Yeah, by the time this comes out, you'll be like a partner. You won't have time for the podcast that'll be I'll all be up from here <laughs> if only but yeah in all seriousness definitely go check out Andrew's channel it is absolutely fantastic and yeah if you want to check out more festive fun from ourselves you can check us out on our website podpage.com forward slash chatsunami where you can stay updated with our latest episodes you can also check out our previous Christmas episodes and you can listen to us on Spotify iTunes and yeah any good podcast apps so look for the name Chat Tsunami and we'll see you there but until then thank you all so so much for listening to this episode and please feel free to join us next week as we take on another very festive topic are you ready for that Andrew? Yeah I am I'm really excited to speak more about Christmas movies coming up into the festive season. Do you want to give the audience a sneak peek of what they might be expecting? I, I do think they're ready for that I think we might need to maybe we'll hint at a little bit of uh, Muppets action and Muppets Christmas Carol and ooh, have we got anything else in the pipeline? I can't remember. No, I think that's it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're, we're, we're hoping to do uh, a Muppets Christmas Carol episode uh, very soon, so please stay tuned for that. Yeah, it will be the season to be very jolly and joyous. And yeah, we'll see you next week for some Muppets festive fun. But until then, thank you all so, so much for listening. Stay safe, stay awesome, and most importantly, stay hydrated. <laughs>